Welcome to the Business in Focus podcast. I'm Quentin Cole, Head of Industries at PwC, a member of our UK Management Board. And I'm back to host another episode where we'll be talking about some of the trends we're seeing across the business world. This time, we're looking specifically at financial services, in particular, how shifting customer behaviours, technology and regulation, all have created a need for organisations to be more agile and resilient. And through it all, the importance of building trust in the industry and across the services provided in an increasingly tough economic climate. I'm delighted to say that joining me today are Adnan Ahmed, Head of Strategy for Starling Bank, and Isabel Jenkins, who leads our financial services practice here at PwC. Hello, Quentin. Hey, Quentin. Thanks for having me. Hi to you both. So let's let's get into some of the questions. With so much change driven by the pandemic and, of course, a range of different factors that we see playing out every day at the moment, we probably need to start with a reminder of the major challenges that are actually impacting the industry. So, Isabel, turning to you first, I guess, firstly, what are those major issues uh, affecting the industry? But also, are there some slower moving, perhaps quieter dynamics that may not be so obvious? Um, yes, thank you, Quentin. I mean, it's an absolutely fascinating time in terms of the financial services industry. And I'd highlight three major factors that we're seeing at the moment. Um, and the first is, is probably quite an obvious one, and it's the move to digital. Now, that, of course, was happening pre-COVID, but actually during COVID, it's, it's been supercharged. We've seen customers use digital banking even people who really didn't want to use it have had to use it and actually they quite like it and it works really well and um, we saw card spending uh 45 of card spending it was online during covid and we've seen cash withdrawals reduced by 40 percent the next area is, is is maybe more nuanced and it's about the changes we're seeing in customer behavior and particularly for the younger generations. So in the 18 to 24 year olds, um, they are less likely to use traditional financial services products such as credit cards and, and personal loans. And um, interestingly, 58% of them get their financial advice from TikTok and 40% of them think that that is better advice than they would get from any other source. The final area I would pick up it is then more internally within the financial services organisations. And pre-COVID, we, we were talking about this race between the incumbents and the startups. Uh, and fantastic, obviously, to have Adnan with us today from, from Starling. Um, and pre-COVID, we were talking about what would happen first? Would the incumbents get digital and the ability to be agile first? Or would the startups who, who inherently have those attributes, would they get customer scale? Um, I think as we've gone through COVID, we've seen um, the, some of the startups really managed to get scale. And there was this big trend in financial services that all organizations need to be flexible to meet these changing customer needs. Um, and that is flexible in how they develop products, how they service customers, but how they manage themselves. So even down to hybrid working um, and how do they cope with their, their changing employee expectations. That's fantastic insight, Isabel. Thank you. And this feels like a perfect time actually to bring Adnan in for a, a closer look at how that need for agility 
and responses, responsiveness felt uh, within a bank. So Adnan, on, on that note, I mean, in many ways, the pandemic and certainly the early days of 2020 feel like a very long time ago uh, and perhaps heightened by the fact so much is going on in the world and in the UK since. But turning your mind back, how did you deal with the challenge of needing to pivot so very rapidly? Yeah, I mean, just before I answer that, I really enjoyed one of Isabel's comments there about who's going to win, are the big banks going to scale um, or consolidate all the startup scale during that COVID uh, period and not biased at all, but I think the startups have done pretty well well in that, in, in that time. Um, but yeah, sorry, to, to your question, um, it, it's, it's really odd, right? Because I think Starling, like we we were almost built with this in mind if you if i think back to and i'm, I'm going back you know to when Anne started had the idea of you know the business case for styling she very much was thinking you know what wasn't working in the industry you know big banks and big institutions financial institutions weren't focused on the customer they were you know they were able to essentially launch whatever products they needed to um because they were effectively an oligopoly um, but also the technology was really, really slow and it was difficult for them to be agile, you know, releasing a new product or making an update to the app uh, would take them at six months or, or, you know, something within that time period. And Starling, you know, answered all those problems. And when she said, OK, I can't fix this from the inside, I'm now going to do this with, with Starling and start from scratch. And what we've done is um, um, or what we've created or what Anne's created is really a business that is very, very tech enabled. Tech is, you know, throughout the whole organization, it's at the table. Um, but also there's a relentless focus on the customer and what the customer needs. And a result of that is that we have launched features, we do things in a certain way, which really help helped us in responding to the pandemic. So for example, we have 24 seven customer service. We are able to release products quickly or release updates to the app. Um, and roll back as soon as we need to. You know, in, in addition to that, because we were built in that way, we have the controls and governance in place, not only to release updates to the public, but also in thinking about our product development, the conduct risk, the regulatory burden on us, and treating customers fairly, was all built in from day one. Um, so when the pandemic actually hit, you know, we were working, we were all working from home within the, the next day. We were able to onboard customers when they needed us most. Um, so, you know, we were still opening our doors to new business customers, new retail customers, um, and we were able to develop and release new products such as the connected card. Um, so all in all, it, it's, a, it's a really interesting question. And for, for Starling, in a really odd way, we were already built for it. Yeah, you were almost sort of they're in readiness for that sort of model having to happen at an accelerated time frame, I guess, for, for yeah. want of a better expression. Uh, totally. totally. And, and Isabel, I mean, it's an interesting point around needing to anticipate future and changing consumer needs. I know this is something you're particularly interested in. Perhaps you could make some comment around how this is being felt more broadly across other sectors within financial services. Yes, absolutely. And I talked a little bit about what we see as, as changing customer perceptions. Um, and we're seeing this really big drive where people want to manage wealth themselves. Um, so this kind of, you know, and it, I think for, for many of us who are, who are maybe a bit older, 
you know, the concept of a traditional pension fund, we put our money in a pension fund and we, and we wait till we're sort of 65 to get it. The younger generation don't want to do that. And they actually actually want to have more control over their over their wealth, how they invest it. And we've, we've certainly seen that in terms of investments in cryptocurrency. Um, now, sitting here in, in the middle of November, we obviously have seen some issues with some of the um, crypto exchanges. Currently, um, over 4 million people in the UK own cryptocurrency. Um, and actually, if you look out to the US market, over 22% of the US population own cryptocurrency. Now, will will that change? Will will trust in, in cryptocurrency decrease um, over, over the next few months, years? But potentially, yes. But what's still there is that desire to be able to invest and manage manage your wealth yourselves. And, and so the financial services market needs to be able to respond to that need. Now, we, we see different products having coming out um, and different segments of society using them. So something like buy now, pay later um, is is. 75% of the users are under 36 and 75% and really interestingly are female. Um, so actually, how are you responding to customer needs is really important, but also helping those customers with products that will respond to those changing needs. I think one final point that is important to, 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 to sort of marry up with that is, is then, and Adnan mentioned regulation earlier, is then the changes we're seeing in regulation. So we have the launch of consumer duty in the UK, and that requires firms to make sure they are delivering good outcomes for retail customers. And they've got to be able to, to, to prove that both to the customers and to the regulators. So this combination really of, of a desire to have more control over your wealth and finances, to have the products to allow you to do that, and not wanting them necessarily to be the traditional products that, that, that a number of us have grown up with, whilst also meeting you know, the requirements of consumer duty regulation it is quite a challenge for the industry. That's fantastic. I'd like to go back to, to you, Adam, just staying with the theme of anticipating needs. I mean, I guess Starling was well positioned to provide support as we entered the pandemic and during the pandemic. I guess you need to keep that anticipation going and stay close to the profile and needs of your customers on an ongoing basis. So I wonder if you could just give us a bit more insight as to how you do that. Yeah, uh, thanks, Quinton. And yeah, I think there's something I just want to touch upon with, um, you know, the whole changing customer um, attitudes and what Gen Z and, uh, um, are looking for, and particularly with that self-selection of investment. And, and I wonder whether, you know, the, you know, if you look at the meme stock rally and what's happened with crypto recently, given that loss in wealth, I think uh, something like two trillion has been lost by retail investors in that space whether you know how much of that that stock picking side of it actually will persist versus you know actually understanding what people are investing in so j just to clarify on that what what i mean is you know what gen z i think are looking for particularly from their from their wealth providers is really all financial services is transparency and you know if they're picking an investment product which whether it's an isa or a sip and they're going to leave their money in there Fundamentally, I think what they would like to know is, you know, I've chosen an ETF, but what's the underlying equity behind that? Is it, you know, what are the ESG um, metrics for that business or, or for that basket of shares I picked? Um, but it, but it's a really interesting point because I think you, 
the whole idea of what customers want, I think there's, and particularly with the Gen Z, there's, I think there's a spectrum because you can go from, you know, they want complete control on picking every single stock or crypto versus actually, you know, whether it's actually more about, I want to understand what I'm doing and what I'm getting involved with. Um, but sorry, I went off on a slight aside there because I'm really interested in that topic about, you know, what what customers, um, what changing consumer demand um, looks like. But from, from a Starling perspective or, or from a more general perspective about customer voice, um, I think sometimes you can have too much of it and you can drown in, you know, the amount of feedback that you get where you don't actually know where to focus on what what to build if you are listening to all uh, customer demands and, and they become competing in, in some regard. Um, and I and probably quite a strong view to have, but I actually wonder, or I actually think, you know, having a, a community with a lot of customer feedback actually is a bit of a marketing gimmick. It creates something viral. People are talking about your product. Therefore, you know, you're going to get more users. But when it comes to listening to customer voice, actually, the, I think the best way to do it, and it's how we've done it at Starling, is sometimes it's better just to launch a product. If it doesn't work, you pull back and you try something else. Um, and we we did that with things like the connected card, which I mentioned earlier, the Kite card. We used the um, capability that we'd already built, our technology capital, and we we leveraged that to produce different products without actually having much more sunk cost in building that product from scratch. Um, so with with the connected car, which I mentioned already, that was you know during the COVID lockdowns, you need to give someone a, a trusted person access to a small portion of your account because you could segregate funds, and they could take that card from you and spend it as if it was their own card, but obviously doing it for things um, that you would like them to do and within a capped amount that you chose. Um, so ju yeah, just to wrap up on that point for me, customer voices is very very important and i think we you know there are ways to take feedback and refine your product and and carry on you know building product that customers want to engage with but i think too much of it can be um misleading so it's just striking that right balance i guess at the heart of it yes exactly Let, let's 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 stay with with the customer the con consumer for a moment i mean one of the things we haven't had a chance to talk about yet is um and something i think we need to acknowledge is is the importance of trust in that relationship between the customer and, and financial service organizations and it, i guess it's not just trust in the products themselves but it's actually trust in the financial services sector and industry more broadly we're heading into a challenging economic climate uh, for many going to be impacted as we all are i guess by inflation interest rates and more so that there's tough times now and potentially tougher times ahead so isabel perhaps turning to you firstly how does that trust component impact some of the challenges ahead for this industry yes it's an interesting time because if we look back we've got the industry you know the financial services industry post the financial crisis back in 2008 um you know the, the trust levels were very low um and actually during covid um we see a number of financial services organizations with a really, you know, have really positively worked hard and worked with the government and the government has supported this as well. But this combination of financial services and government has, has helped both, you know, consumers at small to medium sized businesses and, and corporates in terms of, you know, payment holidays on mortgages in terms of lending so so we come out we came out of covid with actually i think an increase in trust in financial services 
but we're now going to hit quite a hard environment in terms of cost of living and inflation. Um, and we're in an environment um, where we did some research and this was this was back in the summer of 2022. So so before some of the impacts we've seen in terms of, of fuel prices, where even before that time, 30% um, of the UK population can't ac access mainstream financial services, um, primarily because of their credit rating. Uh, and we saw 16 million people in the UK would struggle to cope with an unexpected bill of £300 or more. I mean, Adnan obviously has, has, has referred to the two trillion that has been lost in value from the investments in, in crypto assets. So so we're at this time where actually, you know, it, it's quite difficult, obviously, for for a number of people. Financial services need to support them. We see more households at the moment turning to credit. Um, and, and so we really need the financial services industry to, to, to be able to step up um, and support their customers. Now, Interestingly, we PwC publish a quarterly survey with the CBI on financial services. And in that latest survey that we did in September 2022, um, we see 49% of organizations already have initiatives to help their customers with cost of living and 29% are planning. So, so that's, that's positive. The most common things they're looking at is A, to simplify decision-making on, on financial products. So how do you make people understand, make it make a decision? And how do you help people really understand the pros and cons of different financial products and, and what's appropriate for them? Um, and the other is really about about financial literacy. And we still see some quite sort of worrying stats and data in the industry. A recent blog by the City UK talked about a specific bank where they'd surveyed their credit card customers um, and 25% of them thought that a higher annual um, percentage rate, so the APR, was was better for them when, when actually, of course, that, it, that it's not. It's, it's, it's worse for them as a product. Um, so... We're going to have a really interesting time when we have a period where I think trust in financial services has gone up, but we're going to need to see the financial services take some really positive actions to support their customers going forward in this inflationary environment. That's really interesting because, I mean, there's the sort of obvious aspects of trust in a digital world like cyber security but the place you're taking to us uh, taking us to there isabel is is that sort of societal purpose reputational area which i think is is complex but incredibly important and then thinking of that and the competing big issues as we look ahead um how do you in your organization catch that balance on trust and, and navigate what is sometimes a fine line between kind of commercial and trust amongst your customer base? I'd echo a lot of what Isabel actually touched upon. I think, you know, focusing it on styling, there's a transparency in charges and fee structures um, that really go a long way to balance that trust um, or balance trust with the product. Um, a lot, as Isabel mentioned, some a lot of customers lack the financial literacy across the UK. Um, so having very clear charging structures, very clear, like, you know, this is going to cost you X pounds, regardless of all the APR and percentages that might be flying around. Sometimes it is a really strong way of getting people to understand what they're getting themselves into. But there's an, the flip side to that would also be how people can interact with a product once they've taken it out. So, for example, 
we, we've launched um, a loan product where people can actually self-select forbearance um, if they're having a difficult time. Um, but also more generally in life, if you're not having any issues, is actually being able to see your balance and see how that's going down over time or you know how your monthly payments will impact that balance over time. So I think transparency and, and customer journeys and these types of products are a huge, huge uh, component of getting that trust metric um, down. But beyond that, there's also other things that go on. So for you know, think about more from brand awareness and brand metrics point of view, you know, we have more than 70% of customers trust us. And I think that really comes down to how Anne started styling. You know, from day one, we were a regulated entity. We we knew getting a banking license would be very, very important to us. But we also knew that actually having access to the faster payment scheme would be equally as important because you can say you're a bank, but if you can't then you know, settle or send someone money and it's there straight away or within two hours is, uh, is the metric, you know, then that trust falls away. Um, so there's that side of things. And then I think it's your cultural, sorry, your organizational value and culture. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of lip service paid to things like net zero, gender equality, you know, um, equality across ethnicity as well. But actually, having a tangible target which you can measure against is hugely powerful so for us especially with how with Anne founding the business you know we, we've set a target of um having equal representation at senior management we're currently at 41 percent. that's not good enough we've still got a way to go but the fact that we can actually call out metrics like that and you know be accountable to it publicly goes a long way in in fostering that trust and, and just to wrap up with that point as to why it's so important, you know, we've seen that for us, it's been through customer growth and using CAS as a proxy. So that's the current account switching service. We've been on the podium uh, for top switches by people through the CAS scheme um, for the last year, like in the entirety of 2022. And I think we were third in the latest uh, public results. Um, and for me, that that's huge. That says it all, right? We don't offer any money for someone to switch to Starling. But yet people obviously know the product, have heard about the product and have seen our, our brand and, and they trust the brand. And therefore, you know, within a couple of months or within a month or so, they, they decide to switch their accounts fully. Let, let's stay for a moment just with culture. Is it really interesting, interested by what you just said, uh, Adnan? So what's your perspective on how business models and strategy can influence culture? And I guess... How have you tackled that within your organization in terms of the culture and mindset? How, how have you caught that balance? I, I, think, I agree, Quinton. This is a really interesting topic, and I think we probably could end up speaking for another hour on it. Um, but I'll, I'll try to be concise on this one. Um, I, I think the one thing, so when I joined Styling, I think we were sub 150 people. We're now more, over 2,000. And you can actually see a shift in culture as a business grows, right, from startup to growth to, you know, a mature, a mature company, which is part and parcel of any business's life cycle. Um, but I, one of the things I mentioned in one of my early answers, and I, I think this is really important because I spoke about, you know, releasing versions of the app quickly, rolling it back if it doesn't work, obviously balancing that with your, you know, governance and regulatory requirements. But the fact that we, that was core to our business model, and it was it was a differentiator from all the other banks out there, especially the big banks when I started the business. Really, I think that's that's Starling's culture. 
So that approach to that product delivery and, and iterating stuff is actually something we do with every single piece of work from customer facing through to the corporate side where, where I'm mostly based, right? And we, we often will just get stuff down on paper and iterate it with the right people. Um, and, and I think that's really powerful and that hasn't really changed for me, but it, it, for me is also actually stems from the way we, from our business model and the way we approach product development. Um, I think the final thing I, I, I would say on this is, um, and it's quite an important one because a lot of people see the tech function as a back office, you know, you come up with the requirements and you ship it off to tech and they build it. At Starling, we, we have a different approach. Actually, we the tech function is very much at the table. Um, and that, I think, has influenced our culture in a very positive way because it's about being inclusive, about taking the viewpoints across different parts of the organization, regardless of any sort of, you know, legacy views people have of different functions. That's fantastic. So look, we're, we're nearly out of time, sadly. Um, but as, as we start to bring to a close, we always ask our guests for a top takeaway or practical piece of advice for our listeners. So Adam, coming to you first, what's the one thing to do or the one question perhaps to ask in the next board meeting that you'd recommend for people listening? Yeah, I, I, I think another good question. Um, I, I would say, um, you know, we, we've been through pandemic, now a war, and which, went hand, which goes hand in hand with the recession. Um, I think there's going to be more of that type of thing, more of those, you know, once in a blue moon events um, happening much more frequently. So my, my big question and I guess advice I'd give is be prepared to change tack quickly. And the question to ask your board is what's stopping us from doing that? And Isabel, coming to you. I totally agree with Adnan. It is that ability to be flexible and agile and change in response to a multitude of, of, of different um, inputs. Yeah, we talk about agile and resilient but actually being agile is part of resilience isn't it and i think you you both brought that out in the various comments that you've made that really really stuck with me thanks for that isabel so that's the end of another in conversation with episode of business in focus thank you to both adnan and isabel for taking part and being such fascinating and insightful guests you can discover more insights from our experts about the trends affecting industries and of course practical steps to take on our website, pwc.co.uk backslash industry. Also, please don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with future episodes. Finally, thank you to everyone for listening and please tune in again soon.